You're listening to the Hog Beat Hour with Andrew Hutchinson, Alex Trader, and Mason Choate on ESPN Arkansas on HitThatLine.com. Now, here's your host, Mason Choate. Welcome to the Hog Beat Hour. I'm your host, Mason Choate, joined by Andrew Hutchinson. We're going to lead off with baseball today. We'll get into some football stuff later on, talking about Sam Pittman's new contract, some recruiting stuff. Hogs landed a couple of commitments in the recent weeks. Alex Trader, recruiting expert from hogbeat.com, will join us later on in the show to talk about all that. Um, but right now, baseball, it's leading the news because the Hogs, they came out of the Stillwater Regional on top. They beat Oklahoma State um, on Monday to advance to the Super Regionals. Going to go to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, play the Tar Heels, who are very hot. Um, I did the math, Hutch. I, I, you're the math guy, but I did my own math. I'm pretty sure they've won 19 of their last 22 games. I don't know if you've added that up yet, um, but I'm pretty sure North Carolina has done that. They won the ACC tournament, and they're really hot. Um, so, unfortunately for Arkansas, they're meeting another really hot North Carolina team in the Super Regionals. At least it's not North Carolina State, though. So, we'll get to that, but we're going to lead off with the Stillwater Regional because, I mean, Hutch – You've been covering Arkansas baseball longer than I have, and that's that's saying something for me, but for some people listening to this, they're probably like, well, he's still like 25 years old. But this was a crazy regional, so I'm curious, like, of the regionals that you've covered, is this is this the craziest one? Yeah, this was this this one takes the cake. I mean, the 2017 regional, which had the 3 a.m. game against Missouri State. I mean, that game was unreal and insane, and by itself was probably the most insane game I've ever been a part of. Uh, but from just the from start to finish, the games. I mean, from Saturday to Sunday to Monday, the games that didn't even involve Arkansas. You know, the Oklahoma State, Missouri State, uh, Missouri State Grand Canyon. I mean, just the from start to finish was the craziest most incredible insane weekend of baseball i've ever ever seen uh and and i was so glad that i was there for a majority of it and and got to to be a part of it because it was it was just i mean i i struggled to come up with the words to describe it it was just unreal what what unfolded in stillwater and for arkansas to come out on top i think makes it even that much sweeter uh, for arkansas fans yeah, so they led off against Grand Canyon on Friday. That one was uh, that was a game that it felt like you could kind of see. Okay, this is this is a little bit of the Arkansas team we've been looking for. You got a great start out of Connor Nolan. The bats were hitting the ball well, but I think we all, at least on the Diamond Hogs podcast, which you can go find on the Hog Beat YouTube. Um, Robert Stewart and myself, we were kind of like, yes, this was great. Connor Nolan, great. The bats went well, but it was Grand Canyon. How much does this really mean? Did you kind of have that same thought process? I mean, I know Grand Canyon was a talented team, but they, I mean, there's a difference between Grand Canyon and uh, Oklahoma State, and I think we kind of saw that there in Stillwater. Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that it was Grand Canyon, you had to be like, okay, well, is is that really who they are? I mean, and on top of that, it was, you know, we've seen glimpses of that this year, you know, for one or two games at a time where the baseball team's like, okay, there we go. They're going to get it going. I mean, I always think back to that Auburn series where you're like, okay, they're going to take off and they're going to be great. They're going to host a regional, host a super regional. And then they bounce back, you know, I say bounce back, whatever the opposite of bounce back is, they, they, they collapsed kind of down the stretch with the series losses to Vanderbilt and uh, Alabama. So you're, I, that's why I was skeptical, not that it was Grand Canyon, because Grand Canyon was a really good team. I mean, that is a really good lineup. Uh, they were using their, their ace on the mound, a guy that's, that's really, really good. I mean, they have a, a fantastic shortstop that's probably going to be, you know, maybe even a first-round pick. So that, the team itself was like, okay, that was an impressive win, to win 7-1 to one like they did. Uh, the thing that probably made me the most confident and felt so good moving forward was just the way they did it. You, you mentioned Connor Nolan having a really, really good start. That's the Connor Nolan you got to see here in Chapel Hill. If they make it to Omaha, you got to see it in Omaha. If they're going to make any type of noise there, uh, he's your ace. He needs to be the guy for you. Um, and then the fact that they also scored seven runs but did so, I mean, they did get a couple of home runs in that game, a couple of solo shots, 
but the other five runs they manufactured. I mean, they had a big four-run second inning where it was just a single here, a bloop single over the shortstop, a single here, a double there, and they just kind of kept it moving. Uh, we haven't really seen that this year. They've pretty much lived and died by the long ball, and for them to score five runs without the long ball uh, made me feel really good about kind of where they were at, how they were swinging the bats moving forward against a really good Oklahoma State team. Yeah, so they basically played a, a, a mini super regional against Oklahoma State. There's a they played three games against them. The first one, I think, um, it was it was very crazy. Um, the just the way that Arkansas took the lead, and then the Jalen Battles Grand Slam put the put the icing on the cake. It was just, I think that that win was huge for Arkansas and their confidence. Um, but then they go and they lose to Oklahoma State on Sunday night. So um, it's set up for a very, very important game on Monday, the elimination game. And um, I, I don't know if you wanted to go through these games individually or if you kind of just wanted to, you know, talk about them all as a whole and maybe what you took away from them. Because, I mean, if we go through each game individually, it's going to take forever. I think maybe we could just start with the two big hits from Michael Turner in the Sunday game and the Monday game because he, he had the two-run home run that put them ahead on Sunday. Then, of course, Oklahoma comes up in the ninth and they go up 10-8 and then eventually win 14-10. But on Monday, he had the two-run double um, in the ninth, and that was just huge. That was the ninth, right, the top of the ninth? Okay, the top of the ninth. And it put Arkansas up 7-3, to three, and that, I mean – because at the point, at the time, Oklahoma State still had some momentum there. And I don't know. I just feel like those two hits were huge for Arkansas. And Michael Turner, of course, MVP of the Stillwater Regional. Yeah, Michael Turner was incredible all weekend, to be quite honest. I actually just wrote a story up and put it up on hogbeat.com uh, that kind of really dives into just how just how incredible he was. I mean, he was really good at the plate. I think he was like 8 for 18 or something like that offensively. He had – you know, a bunch, I think 11 RBIs in four games. That That's really good, but also what he did defensively. I um, mean, you mentioned those two big hits on Sunday and uh, on Monday. Yes, those were huge. Uh, he also had a couple of big hits in the Grand Canyon game that helped them really kind of separate, including a, a two-out, two-RBI two single uh, in that big fourth, uh, for second inning that I mentioned. Uh, he also played... Uh, really good defense. I mean, he threw the, the pickoff that he had in the fourth inning against uh, Oklahoma State in that Monday game was massive because you're able to get out of that inning without Rock Reggio coming up to bat with two runners on because that guy was most likely going to get a hit and drive in a run. And who knows how that game goes if, if Oklahoma State's able to score in the fourth inning compared to, I guess, is the sixth or seventh inning when they finally broke through. So, uh, just incredible, incredible weekend by Michael Turner. And to, to have it happen, you know, the week after everything that happens the previous week, uh, you know, the viral you know, sports talk radio hosts that, that, you know, ranted against him, for him to be able to do that after all that kind of could block out all that outside noise, uh, just I think it was kind of a, a storybook kind of moment uh, for a guy that played four years at Kent State and probably never – experienced anything remotely close to what he experienced in Stillwater. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he kind of said it after the game was basically this is I'm, – I'm in a position now that I didn't think I would be in. And, I mean, it, it's incredible for Michael Turner. Um, now they're going to Chapel Hill, maybe go to Omaha. That would be awesome for him to go from Kent State to what he's at in Arkansas now. I did want to talk about Zach Morris, though. Zach Morris got the start on Monday. And I'm curious what you thought of him because, I mean, he's he's been the most consistent guy out of the bullpen. I think we can say that he's got a one nine one ERA um, and you, you could say, you know, Brady Tiger. But I think that Zach Morris, as far as consistency goes, he's been your guy. And then he got his first career start against Oklahoma State on Monday. Um, I He threw I mean, they didn't score a run against him. He threw what, three innings, three and a third, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Three, three and a third scoreless. I mean, he was really, really good. I yeah. Mean, you, 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 oh, go ahead. No, I know you go ahead. You're, you're the guy. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it was, 
I, to, before the game, I made the comment that if, if either team gets more than a couple innings out of anybody, then you got to take it as a win, even if they give up a run or two here or there. Uh, the fact that you got three and a third out of uh, Zach Morris was, was fantastic. Yeah, it's a short start, but throw in the fact that he also threw three innings two days earlier on Saturday against Oklahoma State, only gave up a couple of runs. You look at that, he gave up two runs in six and a third innings spread out you know, the day in between uh, against a, a team that was hitting hotter than any other team in the face of the earth. Uh, that's impressive. That is very, very impressive. And you look at Zach Morris, you don't think, oh, this guy's got overpowering stuff. It's not like he's going up there pumping 98. He doesn't have a Kevin Copps-like pitch or anything like that. I mean, he just – he has pitches. He goes out there and he just gets the job done. And I think you're exactly right when you say he's been the most consistent uh, bullpen arm on the team, maybe even the most bull- consistent arm period on the team. I mean, he doesn't have the flashy stuff like, a, you know, a Jackson Wiggins or a, a Brady Tiger or someone like that, or even a Zeb Vermillion. He, he, just, he just goes out there and he gets you outs and he's capable of going three innings at a time. And honestly, I wonder if, if you do start him and, and he just goes, could he give you five or six innings? That's something you got to consider. We, I mean, I know we'll talk about the Chapel Hill regional in a moment, but that's got to be something that's on Dave Van Horn's mind, you know, moving into this weekend. Yeah. And another guy in that same Monday game, Hagan Smith came out of the bullpen um, through two innings uh, to close it out. I, and I mean, he was just incredible sat down Reggio, I mean, he, he, so he started off a little shaky, but the way that he finished that game off with a pair of strikeouts to close it out, I mean, I, 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 didn't, I didn't expect that at all. I don't know if you did, Hutch. I know that they talked about – Dave Van Horn talked about after the game how in fall ball they thought about, hey, maybe we could bring this guy out of the bullpen, but eventually they, they ended up having him as a starter this year. But, I mean, he was – Hagen Smith – was just incredible. I think that's that's the word to explain it. Yeah, I did not feel good about that move at all when they brought him in because it's it's a freshman, and so it's a big, big moment for a guy that is not necessarily used to being in those big moments. Uh, he was shaky, to say the least, in his last couple of outings. He has not pitched very well lately, and so I, I was very, very concerned when he came in, especially whenever he plunked the first guy he faced. He did get the, the sacrifice bunt you know, out at second, thanks to Caden Wallace. And then he walked by, bases loaded. He strikes out the nine hole, and then wouldn't you know it, Rock Reggio coming to bat. I think he was something like 14 for 22 or something at that point, just something ridiculous. I mean, he had been absolutely crushing the ball. And he quickly gets, you know, the 2-2 count. Rock Rio hadn't swung the bat. And then he gets him to swing and miss. I think he may have foul-tipped it into Michael Turner's glove uh, on that third strike. But uh, that was, to me, that was the at-bat of the year for Arkansas baseball. And Hagan Smith getting that strikeout, that, that to me is what saved them and is why they're still playing in the Super Regionals. Yeah, I mean, you said that, that you didn't feel good about it. I think – Yes, Hagen Smith had been shaky. You know, some people were upset because the night before they had brought in Connor Nolan to try to close things out um, against Oklahoma State, and that didn't work out. So it's like, okay, so we're going to go with another starter here. Um, fortunately, this one worked out, fortunately for Arkansas, and uh, now they're going to Chapel Hill to play in a Super Regional against North Carolina. And uh, we're going to close this segment down, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to preview the Super Regional um, get you set, tell you what you need to know, and uh, then we're going to talk football later on here on the Hogbeat Hour. You're listening to the Hogbeat Hour with Andrew Hutchinson, Alex Trader, and Mason Choate on ESPN Arkansas on HitThatLine.com. Now, here's your host, Mason Choate. All right, we're back here on the Hogbeat Hour. We're going to talk about uh, the Super Regional in Chapel Hill. And uh, Hutch, I just I want to lead off with this. Can you confidently tell the people um, Arkansas is going to win this Super Regional and go to Omaha? Uh, Confidently, no. Um, If they play like they played in Oklahoma State, then I like their chances a lot. But then again, I mean, you mentioned that North Carolina might be the hottest team in the country in terms of 
you know, winning 19 of the last 22 or whatever it is. Arkansas has been so up and down, up and down all year. You just worry like, okay, well, they were up last weekend. Does that mean they're going to go down? Or is this past weekend where they should be and they'll stay that way? Uh, that, that's the million-dollar question. Uh, so I, I cannot confidently say they're going to go to Omaha, but I, I do think there is a very good chance. You have to feel confident, uh, feel good about your chances, I guess, going into this weekend at Chapel Hill. Do you think that maybe the, the comments that were made um, by a radio host maybe – gave them some uh some i guess extra oomph what what's the word to 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 play harder at oklahoma state i can't i can't think of the word a little extra motivation motivation I I mean, that's what it is i i don't know i mean maybe i think that played a little part into it i think the the fan base as a whole played a, a part into it now i say that the whole fan base is not bad they're a very large chunk of the fan base is very very good and they just they understand things but there there's a very loud vocal minority that i think sometimes can can rub people the wrong way and i think maybe they use that to fuel themselves i also think uh, having that full week off you know after the florida loss that that knocked them out of the sec tournament i think that also is really big gave them a lot of rest i think especially for a guy like michael turner who's caught a million games this year and probably pretty tired to get full week to get your legs under you uh, that had to help so I, I think a mixture of all that kind of played into the way they played in Stillwater okay I, I agree I think that that's a good way to put it there um, let's look at this North Carolina team though because they've got some guys that can hit the ball we were talking about it before recording uh, Vance Honeycutt freshman he's got 24 homers he was an all ACC um, or all freshmen, all ACC team. And uh, they've got another guy, Al- Alberto Osuna. He's got 20 home runs. I mean, this is a team that hits a lot of home runs. They got a pair of guys hitting over 360. Uh, let's, I mean, to say the least, this baseball team can hit the ball. On paper, and this is going to scare the crap out of some people, but on paper, they are a better offense than Oklahoma State. Now, does that mean they're going to go out and score? you know, a million runs like we saw Oklahoma State do this past weekend. Maybe not. It kind of depends on how the, the ballpark plays. I don't know much about the, the ballpark there in Chapel Hill, but I do think it's a little bit of a, a hitter's ballpark. But, again, is it going to fly out of there like it was the first three days in Stillwater? I don't know. Uh, but on paper, they are better. I mean, they got the two dudes with 20-plus home runs. I mean, if it wasn't for Tommy White at North Carolina State, we would probably be talking about this Vance Honeycutt as one of the top freshmen in the country. Not only does he have 24 home runs, but he also has 29 stolen bases. I mean, he's 29 for 34 stolen bases. He's hitting 292. I mean, that's, that is a really, really good season. Yeah. He struck out 88 times. So he's a little bit of your stereotypical power hitter. Uh, but that is a incredible, incredible season for a freshman. Uh, so yeah, they, they are really good. And you, you, you mentioned the two guys hitting over 360. That's uh, Danny Soretti and Angel uh, Zarate. I don't know if that's how you say their names, but I mean, anytime you're hitting over 360 in a power conference like the ACC, uh, that's really good. They're both slugging over 500. Uh, so, and they've got, I think, one, two, three, four guys in their lineup that have 50 plus RBIs. Uh, so they, they're very, you know, they're balanced, especially that top half of the, the lineup. Uh, the bottom part of the lineup is not very good. There's definitely a weakness there, uh, but that top half of the lineup with, with average and power is uh, got to be one of the best in the country. And then if you look at their pitching staff, they got two guys that are their you know, day one, day two starters, Max Carlson, Brandon Schaefer. Uh, Carlson's a guy that he's technically their ace, but he normally only goes. I mean, I did the math. I think he averages anywhere from like four and two thirds to five innings per outing. So um, you're not going to get a whole lot out of him um, on average, but, you know, he could have a good day. He could go like seven innings, but um, on average, he doesn't. And then Schaefer, he's he's seven and three, got a three, seven, three ERA. He's thrown 91 um, and two thirds innings. 
but he's got less strikeouts, less walks. It's just it's a little weird looking at this on paper, and Schaefer actually gives up. Looks like he gives up more than a hit per inning. He's got 104 hits in 91 and two-thirds innings pitch. So, um, And then their day three guy, if needed, um, is kind of – I guess they just pick and choose, or maybe it's a bullpen day. I don't know. I haven't watched a whole lot of North Carolina baseball, but um, it seems like with these two guys – um they're, they're not they're not going to be guys that you look at and you're like oh crap here we go but they do have a good bullpen you mentioned before we recorded this sean rap guy he's got 42 appearances yeah this is a team that really relies on their bullpen kind of similar to arkansas especially the second half of sec play where your starters aren't going very deep in a game uh, they're not afraid to pull their starters you know in the third inning or something like that if, if things get go bad uh, so that's why you see a, a guy like, you know, Max Carlson, who's got, you know, decent numbers. I mean, a 3.61 ERA, a 1.38 whip, and uh, averages more than a strikeout per inning. Uh, so he's, he's got good numbers, uh, but he just doesn't work deep into games. They're, they're, they got a quick hook because they do have such confidence in that bullpen. Uh, and you mentioned Schaefer. Uh, we do have to mention he's a lefty. Uh, that's, that's, again, going to scare you as an Arkansas fan because Arkansas struggles against lefties, but this is a guy that's gotten hit really hard. I mean, Mason mentioned, you know, about it, you know, more than a hit per inning, but opponents are hitting 291 against them, uh, 13 home runs off of them. Uh, so he gets hit hard. Uh, that, that has to give you some confidence, but the fact that he throws with his left arm uh, does give you a little bit of a worry. But again, it's all about that bullpen. I mean, Sean Rapp, he's another lefty. 42 appearances, only about 45 innings. So he may pitch every game, but it may only be an inning at a time. Uh, but then they've also got uh, another guy, uh, Davis Palmero. He's a righty. He's got really good numbers. You know, he's he's limiting opponents to a 180 batting average. Really hard to hit against him. He's He might be there. He's got five saves. They've got another guy in Caden O'Brien with five saves. Uh, so it's just kind of like a, a bullpen by committee type. You know, they've, they've got a lot of guys they can depend on uh, that, that that gives them the confidence where if they do need to pull a starter early, they can. Or as you mentioned, you know, if there's a game three, they can kind of piece something together uh, and get through it on the mound. So let's talk about Arkansas, though, because, uh, I mean, I, I feel like we, we talked about Zach Morris earlier. Um do you start Zach Morris? Because I feel like Connor Nolan is probably going to be your starter on Saturday. Do you – I think after Connor Nolan, it's really just a toss-up at this point. Is Zach Morris the guy that you would go with in game two? That's a great question. I mean, he pitched so well this past weekend. It's such a really good lineup. You have to consider it. I mean, Dave Van Horn even said it after the game that it gives them a lot to think about but they also really like him being that long reliever type because he's also the guy that uh, can, can give you three innings at a time, you know, be that Jake Rindle or Barrett Lowski that I've talked about so much on that 2018 team that, that can eat up innings when you need him to. So uh, I don't know. I mean, that's why Dave Van Horn gets paid the big bucks to make these decisions. Cause do you keep Hagan Smith in the bullpen? Cause he pitched so well out of the bullpen or was that just a one-time deal? I don't know. And what do you do with Jackson Wiggins? I mean, do you start him in a you know deciding game three where the college world series is on the line? They didn't last year. They went straight to Kevin Cobbs. Uh, so it's, it's going to be going to be fascinating how Dave Van Horn handles his uh, pitching rotation and, and bullpen this weekend. Yeah. And I'm, I also want to ask, um, I, I feel like the way that the lineup performed last week was impressive. And I think that, um, if it, I don't know if you want to make any changes to it because it worked, but I, I look at a guy in Zach Gregory and a lot of people know that I've been a very big Zach Gregory advocate. I am a fan of his because he gets on base, but he's still getting on base just at less of a rate because he's striking out a lot. Um, it, his hits are few and far between. Um, I feel like he's, I think he would be the only guy that I might want to switch out with somebody else. But also, it's just one of those things where if it's not broke, don't fix it. Because it, even though you have Zach Gregory, he struck out, I think, eight or nine times last weekend. Arkansas still scored a ton of runs. So do you even mess with it? Uh, just knowing Dave Van Horn the way I know him, if if he's he's always been a guy, of, if it's not broke, don't, 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 
don't fix it. And I think he's going to stick with that. I think it would, I mean, you could always put Jace Borfin in there somewhere, but you probably wouldn't have him in the nine hole. So then you're shuffling other guys around and, you know, why would you screw with something after you scored 44 runs and in, in four games? I think they stick with it, but I, I would at least consider it because Gregory is struggling. He goes up there looking to walk and that's to me, not a great uh, approach to have. Uh, but again, he's your nine hole. So, I mean, if he does get you know, walked or get hit by a pitch and turn it over to Braden Webb, Brady Slavens, Caden Wallace, uh, you got to like where that, you know, sets you up. So it, I'm very, very interested to see if they stick with it, but my gut says they're, they're going to stay with what they used the last couple of games. Are you making the trip to Chapel Hill? I don't think I've asked you that yet. No, I've uh, I've decided that I'll wait, and if they make it to Omaha, that I'll definitely be there. So I'm going to try to spend the weekend with the family. Yeah, okay, uh, we're on the same page then. I've I've been told that uh, Omaha is the next trip if I get one. So there we go. Um, I I I don't know if we have time for this, but I'm going to ask you anyways. What is your prediction? What do you think is going to happen? Give us a Hutch expert prediction. It's going to be right. <laughs> After watching them last week in Stillwater, it looked like the team we thought they were going to be. I would say Arkansas wins in three, uh, but uh, I'm not going to sit here and guarantee it. Uh, That's kind of my gut feeling after seeing Arkansas play uh, this past weekend in Stillwater. All right, that's the hog beat guarantee. If you lose money, then uh, you can send the bill to Andrew Hutchinson because he uh, he told you Arkansas is going to win. And he guaranteed it right here on this podcast. So, all right. Um, we're going to talk some football up next. Sam Pittman talked to us about his new contract, and we got some recruiting stuff that we're going to get to here on the Hogbeat Hour. You're listening to the Hogbeat Hour with Andrew Hutchinson, Alex Trader, and Mason Choate on ESPN Arkansas on hitthatline.com. Now, here's your host, Mason Choate. All right. We are back here on the Hogbeat Hour with Andrew Hutchinson and Alex Trader. Talking about Sam Pittman's new contract, which uh, that was big news recently for the Razorback football team. So now he's making a base salary of $5 million, and that comes with incentives, and uh, he can get raises for winning games. So, Hutch, I'll let you break that down because you've, you've put a lot of words together over at hogbeat.com on Sam Pittman's new contract, and it would do so much better um, if you would talk about it than if I would talk about it. Yeah, I mean, you hit it right there. I mean, five, $5 million base salary. Um, however, that's not really all he's making because he also has a couple of uh, retention bonuses built in there that are uh, essentially uh, kind of deferred payment where, you know, after, I guess it's like three years, I want to say, he gets like a pretty big, like $3 million or something. It, it's, it's a lot of money. Uh, all those details are over on hogbeat.com, but it, it's a significant amount and the way it's kind of structured is that it's kind of delayed payment so that way Arkansas can get all this Chad Morris buyout completely paid off and all that off the books before they pay Sam Pittman so instead of giving him like six million dollars a year right now or 6.2 million dollars they're giving him only five million and then down the line he'll get uh, that payment as well And, and it's also unique in that there's dates that are involved. Like he has to be employed on December 31st, 2025 or whatever it is. And, you know, even if he leaves before that, like say, you know, if he were to decide he wants to retire after that 2025 season uh, before that December 31st date, he would still get a prorated amount. So it's like, it's not really, it's just a matter that date really only matters for when he actually gets paid by the U of A. Um, so it's, it's a unique structure in that way. Uh, if you, if you include those retention bonuses in there, his salary is actually, as I said, somewhere around 6.2, 6.25 million. Uh, it also has a one-year extension built in if he wins at least seven games at any point over the next five years, which I think Arkansas fans expect that to happen relatively regularly. So uh, that would keep him on uh, under contract through the 2027 season. Uh, then, of course, he also has those raises built in for, for win totals. Uh, seven wins equals a $250,000 raise. Eight wins equals half a million dollar raise. And nine wins equals a $750,000 raise. 
and that win total does include a bowl game, assuming it's against a power five opponent or a top 25 opponent. Uh, so that would that could easily jump his salary up very quickly. So for example, if Arkansas goes eight and five or eight and wins eight games this year, he would be paid five and a half million dollars uh, for the rest of the contract. Then if they win eight games again next year, his salary would be six million dollars a year. So you can see how that would quickly add up and he could easily be making seven million dollars here in the next few years. Uh, on an annual basis, which would have him more closer to the top end of the spectrum. You, you know, still not the 10 million that Kirby Smart and Nick Saban are making, uh, but it's a lot more than the 3 million he was getting paid when he first got hired. So it, to me, it's a really fascinating structure. I really recommend those of you who have it to, to go to Hogbeat and uh, find those stories and kind of read all the details because it is really fascinating. It's not your just basic contract that, that we've seen at, at pretty much everywhere else uh, it's it's uh, got a lot of interesting aspects and things built into it yeah one of those things is that non-compete clause and Pittman said in his uh, press conference I guess it was on Wednesday um, that he believes that's really going to help on the recruiting trail it provides stability so Alex I mean having that non-compete non-compete clause having your your coordinators back that's really going to help Arkansas and I mean I I guess you're covering recruiting. Have you seen that it's kind of starting to help and pay off a little bit? I mean, as far as rankings go, you're definitely seeing a big boost over the last couple of years since Pittman took over. Um, how much of that is correlated to, to being able to, to count on stability and count on having the same coordinators back uh, and not expecting a coaching change, uh, whether it be at your position or, or at one of those uh, two coordinators or head coaching position? I'm not sure because you've also seen a, a big rise in win totals. But uh, as far as a team goes, I think the longer you're able to keep the, those decision makers together, the better you're going to be able to, to go out and compete and, and really start to find your rhythm. So um, I, I think there certainly is some correlation. And I think, you know, it, personally, if I was a high school kid and someone walks into my living room and is trying to convince my parents to let me go there um, and I'm not expecting them to be there the full four years that I'm there, then I'm certainly going to be a little bit more wary of, of doing that. So I think that Pittman really does have that going in his favor. So uh, Hutch, you were talking about how it's uh, this is kind of a unique way to structure a contract and you aren't seeing a whole lot of this across the country. Most of the time you're seeing like a lot of these coaches, they get, they're trying to get their money up front. They're trying to get this big contract right away with Pittman. It's like, well, we'll give you a base salary and then based on performance, you can make more money. And as you mentioned in one of your stories, um, it's your most recent one. Let me find the title for you. Pittman talks about New Deal. Um, this one, you mentioned that these uh, when, when he hits these wins, it triggers raises, not bonuses. And so I, I'm curious, do you think that other programs and other athletic directors are going to maybe take a page out of Hunter Yurchak's book or do you think that this is just a special case for Arkansas because Pittman has like made it clear, hey, I'm not going anywhere. So they have like, I guess, the the wiggle room to do new things that are unique. I think athletic directors would probably like to follow Hunter Year Check's lead and have contracts built like this and structured like this. I mean, the buyout is also really friendly to the school and that it's it's based on winning percentage. If he wins 50% or more of his games, and he gets 75% of his remaining contract if he were to be fired. Uh, if he's under 50%, you know, like, say, a Chad Morris or a Brett Bielema, then you only get 50% of your remaining salary. And so it it's, it's truly is based on winning and losing, just like winning equals more money. Uh, I don't know if it's going to become the norm. I do think you could see some coaches uh, – get this the more of the unproven coaches who are like okay well just hire me and i'll earn my money and that's what basically we saw with sam Pittman. I mean, he's a career offensive line coach now if you were to try to say hire away somebody from another big time school like if someone comes calling and says hey lane kiffin we want to hire you to be the next coach at our school lane kiffin's probably not going to agree to that lane kiffin's going to say pay me x and that's probably going to be how it goes uh, but the lesser proven coaches, I could definitely see this becoming more of a, 
a norm for those guys or something that because at least more common where it's not just totally unique to Arkansas. Uh, I think it's a really cool, you know, blueprint that, that Hunter Yurichek uh, laid out. And also the fact that they got it done with Jimmy Sexton as the agent for Sam Pittman, I think also has to speak volumes that, that Jimmy Sexton would be down for that. But again, Sam Pittman didn't exactly have a lot of leverage because he was very open throughout ever since he got hired that this is going to be my last job. I I'm not going anywhere. And, you know, he put that in writing with the non-compete clause. And he also has said, you know, I've kind of given them a little bit of a discount. I think most people would agree, you know, what Arkansas did last year, they got it at well under market value in terms of Sam Pittman. And uh, they want to reward him for that, but they also aren't going to just completely empty the bank uh, to, to get him paid when he's made it no secret he wants to stay here regardless. Yeah, so emptying the bank would then, you know, put them at a, in a weird situation because they have these coordinators and Barry Odom and Kendall Bryles, and now you have a bunch of very um, successful assistant coaches as well. And so that, that pool of money, how important is it to not have a head coach where you're paying him, you know, a whole lot of money and then you can't afford to have, you know, coordinators and Barry Odom and Kendall Bryles who likely could be head coaches somewhere else. Um, I think we all understand that there are probably jobs that they were offered this offseason and they decided to stay at Arkansas. And then you also have a bunch of assistants. I mean, Jimmy Smith, really good, really good running backs coach. Cody Kennedy, offensive line coach. I'm pretty sure he got a raise too. So for Pittman to not be making, you know, top dollar amount of money, that's really helpful for Arkansas, is it not? Yeah, 100%. I mean, that, that there was a reason they were able to increase their salary pool by about 25%, uh, the assistant salary pool, by 25% this offseason. Uh, that is a significant jump. Uh, I think they're paying them a little over $6 million combined, and wasn't that long ago it was maybe $5 million combined. So they they have – uh, really committed to paying these guys well so they don't want to go somewhere else. Like Kendall Browse wouldn't want to go to Miami, even if they're going to pay a little bit more. If you're making a good money here and, you know, you, you like who you're working for, you like who you're working with, you like your situation, you know, why leave? Uh, where, where you run into problems is when a school comes in and says, we're going to offer you double what you're making. Uh, don't think Arkansas is really in that position with anybody. I mean, Cody Kennedy – I believe I read that he got pursued by, or at least reached out to by Georgia uh, when their offensive line position uh, came open. And he basically said, thanks, but no thanks. And guess what? He got a $300,000 raise. He's making $700,000 now to be Arkansas's offensive line coach. Uh, that, that is huge to, to be able to retain those assistants. I mean, shoot, Sam Pittman was here when he saw Brett Bielema lose his assistants. I mean, Brett Bielema had a really, really good staff early on in his tenure at Arkansas and Arkansas had a lot of success. Those guys left Sam Pittman left a lot of those other assistants left. They replaced them with not as good coaches and they fell flat and it ultimately led to Brett Bielema getting fired. I think uh, Sam Pittman really wants to ensure that doesn't happen to him. He wants to be able to retain these coaches. And yeah, it, eventually you got to think Barry Yoda going to leave to take a head coaching job but maybe you set it up to where, okay, he's not going to leave for just any head coaching job. He's going to wait until a really good head coaching job where it's like, okay, well, we can't blame him. He wants to go be a head coach again. So I think that was really huge for, for Sam Pittman, even during his negotiations was, hey, even if you don't pay me a ton, I want you to take care of my assistants. Yeah, so and another thing, we kind of talked about it earlier. It was the whole stability thing. And when we had this press conference, he started off and said the non-compete is stating stability. That's what he wanted. He said he had been using that as, as recent as five minutes before he was talking to us. So, Alex, I mean, do you think that that kind of puts Arkansas at an advantage compared to other programs because they have this coach who wants to stay here? They have this coach that, you know, if you're talking to a recruit, they don't have to worry, hey, is this guy going to leave? Um, for a better job and I'm going to be stuck in a situation here at Arkansas where I might be playing for a coach I don't want to play for it has to I mean you're, you're going to have the five-star guys who who are in in the top half of the rivals uh the rivals 250 
who are always going to pick, you know, maybe not always, you'll have a couple exceptions, but they're going to take the Alabamas, the Georgias, the Ohio States, um, uh, USC now with Lincoln Riley kind of coming back up. But then those, those not necessarily blue chip prospects are looking for coaches who can help develop them. And stability is a great way to keep someone developing. So when you have a guy like Sam Pittman, um, and you've even seen it over the last couple of weeks with Luke Fickle and Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern, two guys who probably could get uh, quote unquote better jobs if they wanted them, um, have, have been pulling in big, big time recruits uh, within the, the three, the low four star ranks, and they're bumping up very, very high into the rivals team rankings. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up this segment. We're going to talk some more football recruiting um, up next here on the Hogbeat Hour. You're listening to the Hogbeat Hour with Andrew Hutchinson, Alex Trader, and Mason Choate on ESPN Arkansas on hitthatline.com. Now, here's your host, Mason Choate. All right. We're back here on the Hogbeat Hour. Uh, Mason Choate, Alex Trader, Andrew Hutchinson with you. Want to remind you uh, if you like what you're listening to, go to hogbeat.com. And uh, check out all of the content there because basically everything we talk about on this podcast, we also write about at hogbeat.com and you can subscribe there. Um, Go to the YouTube as well. You might be watching this on the YouTube, but if you're listening, you can go watch this on the YouTube. You can watch the Diamond Hawks podcast. Alex does some recruiting breakdowns. We also post all the press conferences over there as well. So you definitely want to subscribe to the YouTube and then subscribe to hogbeat.com. It is uh it's worth your money. Andrew Hutchinson, Alex Trader, um, they do most of the premium content, and it is uh it, it it's worth the money you're paying to read that premium content. Plus, you get the message board, and I get a lot of my news from the message board. Surprisingly enough, there's a there's a lot of guys over there who help provide some some good inside intel. So uh, Arkansas got a couple of commits as of late since the last time we recorded this podcast, which I can't even remember that when that was, but Alex, they got, they got a running back and they got a defensive lineman Um, defensive lineman. I think is that I guess the more intriguing one as of right now, because that's a position of need. So kind of break that down for us. Yeah, it's a position of need. And it's also a position where you could really see someone, you could use the experience and uh, it it was Juco commitment, Taylor Lewis out of um, I believe it was college of the canyons. But in California, he's I, I did broke down his film um, and it's really impressive the way he's able to kind of stop the run, fill the gaps in, on the inside and being able to bring a guy like that in, especially with we saw going into this transfer class that Sam Pittman wanted to put a premium on wide receivers and on defensive linemen. And I think we saw he did that that almost exclusively. Um, was was where a lot of the top transfer talent came from. I mean, you saw a couple of defensive backs and then Drew Sanders at linebacker, but really focusing in and getting guys to, you know, maybe you don't have the freshmen coming in that that you're you're expecting to be able to play right away, or you don't have the guys. um, Hutch will talk about it a little bit as well with the recent news, but you have some injuries on the defensive line that you need to Need to, you need to get guys who can come in and play. And you saw the blueprint last year with John Ridgeway that, hey, you just have to find someone to, to be there and, um, and put them in the right situations, and they very well could, uh, could do something special for you. Yeah, I mean, I'll add, I mean, you, you mentioned those injuries. I mean, Torian Carter is the guy who you're referring to. This is a guy that dominated fall camp, really. I mean, just looked – or fall camp, spring ball – uh, looked really, really good uh, in those practices that we saw. Uh, I honestly would say he might have been one of the the spring MVPs or at least the, the defensive MVP because he was that impressive, just consistently getting pressure, uh, just looked like a guy that could be on the verge of a breakout that we've seen like you know, Armand Watts or Jonathan Marshall or uh, someone like that. So uh, I think that he he could have been a really good player. And then, of course, I think what one, two, three plays into the spring showcase scrimmage thing inside the Walker pavilion, he goes down with an injury. Uh, Sam Pittman, it sounded like it was a significant injury, you know, when it happened. Uh, but he did uh, give an update uh, when we talked to him earlier this week and say, if, you know, we're hopeful he'll come back. And he used just the words, the wording he used did not sound like they were holding their breath. Uh, they say, you know, if, if anybody can do it, it's going to be Torian Carter. But 
that 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 would be a significant blow and that just makes the addition of taylor lewis that much more important you know instead of just being a depth piece now you probably are looking at him to actually really contribute uh, which i have concerns about i mean this is a, a junior college recruit uh, sometimes those guys take a year to get going i mean i always think back to martrell spate didn't do anything his first year here and then his senior year he was an all sec linebacker led the team led the conference and tackles that's generally you know what you see with juco guys uh, sometimes it takes a little bit to adjust and the fact that he was a late signee uh, also gives me concerns you know it, it really seemed like the same schools that arkansas was competing with to get other defensive tackles out of the portal were also going after this guy almost like okay well this is the best guy left available does that make him a really good player ready to contribute in the sec i don't know he may be great uh, but I do have concerns that it might not be a guy that just comes in and, and plays like a John Ridgway. You know, John Ridgway entered the portal and was immediately offered by a ton of schools. This guy, he was available to sign back in February if people were going to recruit him. It just didn't happen. And all of a sudden, here we get to you know, late, late May, early June, and that's when he lands with a school. You know, granted, he did have offers from Nebraska and Auburn and schools like that, but they were also in the same boat as Arkansas, just trying to find a depth piece for the defensive line. Yeah, that's that's something that I wanted to bring up was when you're recruiting, you know, these junior college guys, it seems like it's really hit or miss. I mean, you mentioned Martrell Spade. I'm thinking, I mean, Rakeem Boyd, you had a really good year out of him. Um, but at, at defensive line, it, it just seems like, you, you kind of hit it there. It's a, it's a, it's more of a depth piece than anything. Do they really think that, and I, this is, I guess this can be for you, Hutch. Do they really think that this guy will come in and uh, make a, a, a huge impact this year? Um, and maybe, maybe he will. I mean, Alex said his film looks really good, but also it, like I said, it, it seems like when you, when you recruit a Juco guy, it's really hit or miss. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think they're hopeful and optimistic that he could come in and, and be that guy. But, I mean, they they didn't exactly hit the ball, hit a home run with uh, Jalen Williams as a defensive tackle Juco signee in the previous class. I mean, he lasted one year and transferred out, and Sam Pittman was pretty open about saying, this is not the guy we saw on film. I don't know if they were able to evaluate uh, Taylor Lewis in person or if it was also based on film, but that – it just got, it, it makes me a little nervous. I'm not going to sit here and just tell you like, oh man, this guy's going to be great. I think he has the potential to, and you need it. I mean, Isaiah Nichols probably is going to be your starter. Uh, maybe Cam Ball really does make that big time jump. But beyond that, who, who are you going to have? I mean, maybe uh, Eric Gregory can slide over and play on the inside, especially since you've gotten, you know, Dorian Gerald back. I'm sure we can talk about that some too. Uh, maybe that gives you some flexibility. I don't know, but uh, that that's probably that and uh, maybe wide receiver uh, going into fall camp are going to be my two biggest positions of, of maybe concern or areas I'm going to watch how they develop over fall camp because uh, that, those are things they still need to get ironed out before the season. And then also the running back commit, Isaiah Augustave. That's what we're going with. Um, Alex, have you had the chance to look into him and – I mean, it seems like Arkansas continues to kill it in the running back recruiting, but also that leads to having, I mean, we, we, we see it coming up this next year, but a loaded running back room where it's going to be hard to find touches. Yeah, and the, the committee approach that we saw from Arkansas last year, and, and I'm kind of expecting to see again this year, do help with that a lot. I, I think if you're going to have a problem having a wealth of riches, um, ver versus not having enough guys to contribute it is definitely a problem I'd take if I was on the staff. But um, you're getting in, in Augustave a, a pretty interesting running back. He, he lets his blocks set up, but as soon as he finds that hole, he gets vertical. He, he's not really going to dance around in the backfield a whole lot. He does have legitimate speed once he's able to get into his rhythm and, and kind of take off. It does take a second, but he's able to really, really get going. And if he's in the open field, um, I know it's a huddle tape, so it's always a little bit hard to say, you know, with certainty, but but no one was even close to catching him um, throughout the entirety of that, that film. He was able to kind of just take over once he got through the hole. Um, and as well as that, you get kind of a hybrid back out of him because he is very physical too. He's not going to sit there and duck out of bounds when there's a chance to get a couple of extra yards going up the field. So 
I was really impressed with what I saw on film and he did have, you know, 20 other FBS offers. So a lot of other schools were impressed with him as well. Um, he picked Arkansas over Florida state. Uh, he's from Naples, Florida. So picked him over Florida state, um, Minnesota out of the big 10. He, he had Kentucky, Tennessee, uh, out of the sec. So, uh, and Oklahoma state as well, who's done pretty well at the running back position themselves. Um, I think it's a huge commitment for Jimmy Smith kind of came out of nowhere. I know Hutch and I, and Mason, you two were talking about it. We, I put it in the group chat and we were all like, Oh, wow. Okay. Um, uh, it, it turns out that he was on an official visit. Um, so the timing does make a little bit more sense with that, but uh, a big pickup for the staff. And it, it does, you know, it, it has to be a good omen for you uh, after kind of a, a slow couple months after Malachi Singleton being able to get going right at the start of June when you're having all these visits come in. Yeah. So talking about June and the visits coming in, I don't know. I think for the loyal listeners of the Hogbeat Hour, you probably know that I don't know a thing about football recruiting. Um, if you if you don't if you don't listen to the Hogbeat Hour all the time and it's not common knowledge, I don't know a whole lot about football recruiting. So um, if you don't as well, maybe Hutch and Alex, you guys can explain what's so important about June to recruiting. Yeah, this is a really big recruiting month. Uh, they're going to have. I think Sam Pittman said the other day, like 33 official visitors this month. Uh, and that doesn't even include unofficial visitors. Like, for example, I know uh, Charleston Collins, the defensive end from Pine Bluff, uh, who I think is now at Little Rock Mills, uh, who has been offered by Arkansas, offered by LSU, and just the other day tweeted uh, an offer from a school named Alabama uh, with a picture of Nick Saban. Uh, so he seems to be blowing up. He's a 2024 kid. And he's going to be here, but it's as an unofficial because he's still a 2024. It's 2023 guys, the guys going into their senior years that are on official visits. Uh, so it, it's just a really big month uh, because you're, uh, I, I guess it's like in one of those windows. I mean, the recruiting calendar is really hard to decipher. It's There's different windows for different things. You can do, do camps and they are going to have some camps this month, I believe, uh, in addition to the official visitors. So it's just, that's why it's so big. I mean, you've got so many big time recruits that are coming in. I know there's like a trio of, uh, of offensive linemen, I believe that are coming in this weekend uh, that are, you know, each, I think in the top 125 nationally. Uh, and so yeah, that, that, that's, that's the kind of recruit you expect Sam Pittman to be bringing in these big time four-star or better offensive linemen. And, and that's what we're going to be seeing this month is, is big time guys like that uh, make their way to Fayetteville. All right. Well, that's going to wrap us up for the Hogbeat Hour. Don't forget, baseball team plays this weekend, Saturday at 10 a.m. in Chapel Hill. That one's going to be on ESPN. And then Sunday at noon on ESPN or ESPN2. And then Monday, everything is to be determined if they need to play a Monday game. So thank you for listening to the Hogbeat Hour. And we will talk to you whenever we talk to you because the summer schedule is weird. So thank you.